0: Welcome to The Lens, hosted by Catalysis, where we get a glimpse inside healthcare organizations that are transforming to a culture of improvement to deliver continually higher-value outcomes for patients, staff, and communities. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens for more information about Catalysis. Welcome back to The Lens. I'm your host, Peter Mariahazi. Patient safety is always a top priority for Christie Clinic in Champaign, Illinois. They continue to work to make sure that patients are seen when needed while limiting the spread of COVID-19. Today, I'm joined by Michelle Antonacci, Director of Clinical Services at Christie Clinic to talk about the innovative improvements they have put in place. Thank you for joining us, Michelle.
1: Thanks for having me, Peter. Nice Nice to meet you.
0: You as well. Please start by telling us a little bit about yourself and Christie Clinic.
1: Well, my name is Michelle Antonacci and as you mentioned, I'm a clinical director here at Christie. I've been a nurse for 18 years and have spent 17 of those years at Christie. Um, I was tasked with leading the COVID initiative for um, the clinic. Christie Clinic is one of the largest physician-owned multi-specialty groups in East Central Illinois. where a physician-led multi-specialty with 35 specialties and 29 locations and our physicians and staff are known throughout the community for having a truly personal touch with patients.
0: That's great. Well you know we're here because we understand the Christie Clinic has made quite a few changes to help ensure patient safety and and one of these is a drive-through visit. Can you tell us a bit about some of those process changes?
1: I'd love to, and there were a few major areas, and one that we are most excited about is that drive-through. With the beginning of COVID, if you think back to the February and March, it was important for us to try to keep infectious and symptomatic patients um, away from the healthy population. The test results took over a week to get back. Testing was very difficult to qualify for, and everybody was scared, and everybody assumed that everybody else had COVID. As a result of this, we developed, as many organizations did, a respiratory care clinic. And what we did for that is we moved a couple of our primary care providers out of one of our satellites and moved this respiratory care clinic in, created an alternate entrance, closed off the hallways to really keep them separate. As we moved further and further along into the epidemic, our numbers weren't very high in that clinic. So maybe only two or three a day Um, because most patients just needed the testing. They didn't really need to get that full visit, and we were encouraged that if you're sick and just regular sick, go ahead and stay home. And so what we did for that to not have two people sitting idle for 12 hours a day is we looked at how we could combine that with our regular busy convenient care in a way that we still weren't exposing patients to other patients and to all of our team members, but still getting them seen when they needed to. And so we were kind of standing outside in our parking lot at our Christie Clinic um, location and we decided to cordon off a row of parking spaces. We put up four carports and um, the curbside clinic was born. And so we put up signs that when the patient arrives, they call us. We do um, the pre-screening on the phone to eliminate that time that we need to spend getting um all the histories and allergies and stuff like that and a lot of about 25 percent of the time we can see the patient in a car there are things that we need to do inside like chest x-ray we've moved our whole convenient care to be they get that first initial triage in the drive-through and um, some of those things like musculoskeletal you still got to come in for but we have created an alternate entrance before our convenient care entrance was the same entrance as everyone else and in fact our overflow waiting room for convenient care was the entrance to this clinic that lots of our healthy population was coming through and so even even before this it was kind of a hold your breath because the sick people are sitting in the in the atrium there and so we were able to completely block off that part of the convenient care entrance create an alternative entrance and it was just so much safer and I would like to talk about some of the other things that we've done um, in addition to that, just because they've made such an impact and they, they all kind of flow together and without, without each other, this whole thing wouldn't have worked. Um, part of what I mentioned for convenient care is that we're screening patients on the phone ahead of time. So that can only happen once the patient shows up. But one of the really special things that we've done for the rest of the patients that are pre-booked is that we're calling them ahead of time to do their screening, um, asking them the COVID screening questions. We're getting their histories, medications, allergies, insurance information. And the reason that's important is because those were the areas that were keeping our rooms booked and filled. And those were the places that patients were waiting in lines in the clinic. And so because of this, we have decreased the amount of, we've decreased the amount of people that have to do that business service check-in and those long lines and we've spent we've taken it down from about 11 minutes spending time rooming a patient to about three minutes rooming the patient but because you've done all of that ahead of time you really get to only put the patient in the room get their vital signs and get back out of there so you're really decreasing that face-to-face time Mm -hmm. and at the beginning that was really important because again the test results were taking so long Everybody was scared and we really wanted to minimize the face-to-face. And so we tried to get just the value-added face-to-face time while the patient was in the clinic. Another really big area that helped with us that also goes along with this is video visit. Illinois issued pretty early on a stay-at-home order and didn't allow us to do non-essential visits or surgeries what we had been talking about trying to do for years, now all of a sudden happened immediately because we really needed to be able to take care of our patients. And so with COVID, um, it took us seven days to get up and running with phone visits and another five days for video visits. And I truly believe that would have taken months and months of planning had we done this the regular way that we had historically um, done our problem solving and, and change. And what this also allowed to do was keep the waiting rooms empty because we could alternate those phone visits with regular in-person visits. The docs who might run behind and, you know, had a waiting room full of patients, that's no longer happening because we said, hey, we can't have patients in the waiting room. And so they're alternating those visits so they can still see the same amount of patients and still be safe about it.
0: Boy, it really sounds like you identified a lot of places of waste and ways to just kind of piece it together. So thank you for expanding that because it does show how they all work together and reinforce each other to, to make it a great experience for the patient. So are there any other, you mentioned some of the kind of goals and targets out of making these changes. Were there any others that, that you guys had in mind as you, as you put these in place? Any other goals and things you were hoping for?
1: Yeah, so I think the overall primary goal of every organization during this time is to come out of this still viable and healthy as a business. Um, From a healthcare standpoint, we had um, some goals as far as safety and keeping um, team members and patients not having, not testing positive. And so, um, three of those big goals related to that is it was really important for us to keep the waiting rooms empty and not to have those lines. I will go to a building that I know has 100 patients in it at that time and not see a single person in the waiting room or see just a few scattered. We we took care of our waiting room chairs. Um, We separated them. Really important for us to have empty waiting rooms. Um, The second goal we had was to keep our COVID suspect patients away from our healthy patient population. And that's where that curbside convenient care and that pre-screening comes in. And last, it was to reduce the provider and team members um, exposure to those patients. So the time spent in the room, the increasing that value added time and taking away all those pieces of waste that we would do um, before to decrease the risk of spread to that individual team member.
0: So how did you gather and collect all of these ideas for these changes. It sounds like it was just a a wonderful bunch of work of innovation. So how did you gather that?
1: Well, we, for all of us, COVID has been a time of rapid change and constant change. Um, There was a multidisciplinary team where we had places in our clinic, like clinical, business office, facilities, purchasing, HR. I mean, everyone's role was important because every aspect of our business was impacted. So as a new executive order or new challenge came along, we looked at where we were, um, determined where we needed to be, and then figured out from there how to implement change. Because we have so many physical locations, it wasn't possible for us to do the exact same thing at every building. And so part of ours was, we couldn't just declare one workflow. We really had to adjust to every, every individual um, doctor's office. So, Overall, it was the same idea. We just had to adjust based on our facilities how we did it. Um, We still do our daily department huddles with masks and keeping socially distanced. And we used our a rapid um, chain of command, our chain of command for rapid information distribution, just like we were. Christy has a pretty robust um, huddle system and continuous improvement system. So our team was already used to this problem solving and talking about it each day. And so this wasn't anything new for them that we were, you know, constantly problem solving and making sure that we were up to date with everything we needed to do.
0: And, and so with all that variability, how has the staff reacted to all these changes?
1: I'm really proud to say that they've been overwhelmingly positive. Um, You see out there like the fun memes that COVID changes daily. And so you don't, uh, you don't know how to keep up. And that's absolutely true. It was um, The first month was kind of, I think for them, um, kudos to them, kind of a nightmare to keep up with. We were constantly changing, but they stayed positive. Um, they, they did what they needed to do. They worked together to hold each other accountable. We had a central hub of information that was constantly kept up to date for them to be able to immediately access what changes we were doing and the newest guidelines and recommendations and what was closed and what was opened. So there was frustration, I think, as there is with any rapid change, but everybody stuck together and did what they needed to do.
0: Well, and it sounds like obviously a focus of, of safety for the staff, but also for the patients. So how have the patients reacted to this? It's a little different thinking about pulling into a car portal and having some some uh, interaction before you even go into the waiting room. It's a huge difference. What have you heard?
1: Patients, uh, I think at this point, have come to expect a really high level of safety from our organization. As we did with the team, we've kept the patients updated as to what we're doing. We're putting over social media um, and our reminder calls, everything that we're doing to keep them safe, whether it be not arriving till five minutes, we're masking everyone, we're cleaning um, all day long. And so keeping the patients updated uh, was really helpful for us. And as a result, they're holding us accountable. So if we don't do those things, we hear about it. And so we don't wanna hear about it. And so we, I think as time goes on and you have less cases, um, you become really complacent and our patients have not allowed us to get to that place of complacency. And so, which is good in my opinion, because it really holds us accountable for making sure that we're doing the right thing.
0: Sounds like you're getting some great feedback from the patients of, of expectations and, and hats off to you. So you, know, you kind of mentioned that, that feedback and that going on. So it sounds like there are some secondary benefits and improvements from this change. What do you think is likely to continue beyond this time we're all living through?
1: Well, I think we wanna keep video visits and televisits um, overwhelmingly positive response from patients. I think a mixed response from providers depending on their specialty. Um, It has definitely created something different and unique. We did have providers asking for this ahead of time and either because of insurance regulations or technology that was all figured out staggeringly fast at every level um, that's possible now. And so what we're hopeful for is that insurance companies continue to cover this so that we can, keep those um, in our visits and kind of scatter them throughout what we do for the day. I think during COVID and while we're still in this active pandemic, we don't really have a choice about that. That is part of our keeping our waiting rooms empty plan. But you know, future state, there are some things that we can just do telehealth with and um, very successfully and it doesn't put patients at increased risk and we can um, triage those pretty well so I think that we have to keep moving with that. Um, the call ahead screening has really made such a big difference. I can't imagine us not trying to do some level of call ahead screening, whether it be for insurance validation. I mean, that's anywhere from a 2 to 15 minute line, depending on the time of day. And calling those patients ahead. I know that I appreciate getting that phone call asking me all those questions rather than keeping me in the room for a longer amount of time. and it's incredible how fast we can turn over our rooms now while still providing the same quality of patient care that we were doing before.
0: You know, you've mentioned a couple of times the empty waiting rooms. Do you, do you think this strategy, and if this carries forward, is it going to have an impact on facility design moving into the future?
1: I've had the opportunity to... Um, be part of designing a few facilities here. And I'll tell you that one of the major things you have to figure out is the waiting rooms. And so I think that anytime you don't have to plan for full waiting rooms and long lines, you're able to use that space for value added pieces of the patient experience. And so we could potentially have more room for patient, direct patient care and expansions of services. So absolutely, I think that if you don't have to have a huge waiting room then you get to use that space more creatively
0: you know and and you have made an observation about waiting rooms and how we should not be using those to measure success in healthcare that if it's a full waiting room we're doing good we've got a lot of patients can you talk a little bit about that cuz i found that a, a wonderfully insightful comment on your part
1: that's been an interesting uh, observation that's come about and we'd have historically measured our success by how many people we have sitting in our waiting rooms. And I remember when we first started back on our lean journey, probably 15 years ago, our first facilitator told us, our goal should be no waiting rooms. And we just thought that that was crazy. And um, I personally didn't think that was possible. And because we still had the cushion of having our waiting rooms there, there wasn't a whole lot of problem solving around how to keep those waiting rooms empty. We very quickly got back to um, over 90% of our patient volume within a week or two of being allowed to have those non-essential visits again. Um, So very, very quick, we um, did that with still the goal of keeping the waiting rooms empty. And we did have one of our physician shareholders observe that we must not be doing very well because our waiting rooms are empty. And that was just interesting because That was our measure of success in our organization. And I happen to know, um, when I walk through the clinic at nine o'clock, I know how many patients we see at nine o'clock and to have those empty waiting rooms, knowing that there's 30, 40, 50 people in the building at that time having their visit. Right now, our empty waiting room, I know is a sign of our success rather than a sign of our failure. And so the opposite was happening um, as far as how we measure those waiting rooms. And what was nice about that is we were forced to make that change. And so one of the best things I think that's come out of COVID is that we were given lots of criteria and lots of restrictions. And because of that, we had to make choices that we wouldn't have done before. And as a result, we've really optimized our workflow, um, cut out as much waste as possible and still As I have said before, and I'll continue to say, um, provided very high level of care to our patients. So the care is not being compromised, just because we're not having them in the building now for an hour, instead of the 20 minutes that they really should be there for their visit. Um, And so it's just been incredible, like empty waiting rooms now still means a viable healthy practice for us.
0: Well, Michelle, hats off to you for that kind of, that paradigm shift and realizing it because a lot of people get stuck in those routines of the way it always was, so congratulations. Thank you. Um, Are there any other final thoughts that we haven't talked about that you'd really like to share with the listeners?
1: I think that I know that all of our journeys have been different and I know that everybody is coming back at a different pace. Uh, We were lucky that we did come back fast um, living in Illinois, we were a state that closed very fast and had very severe restrictions. And so we, we had to figure it out and we didn't have as many options as the states that maybe might not have closed. And so it was helpful to us to have clear guidelines. Um, but one of the things that wouldn't have been possible is if we hadn't created that centralized team and we weren't completely connected every step of the way. We have, I've been on meetings where you know, everything is decentralized and the organizations are so large that they don't always know what each other's doing. And so that was something that was vital to our success was centralizing the decision making and um, the idea generations and making sure that everybody knew all of the changes along the way. And so taking the time where we wouldn't have um, these choices more optional at that, at that point, and so creating the environment we should have been shooting for years ago and creating that spread of ideas that we should have done years ago um, has really been a big lesson for Christie Clinic.
0: Well, congratulations on that, and that's a great message on communication and and seeing the whole picture um, as opposed to silos. So, Michelle, thank you so much for talking to us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: You know, it just sounds like there's a lot of great continuous improvement happening at Christie Clinic. Look forward to following that journey as it continues. And thank you all for listening. Visit createvalue.org to find resources that can help you lead in the constantly changing healthcare environment. All of us at Catalysis hope you stay healthy. And thank you to all the healthcare providers taking care of us all. Stay tuned for more episodes designed to help healthcare leaders navigate through the rapidly changing world that COVID-19 has presented. Thank you for listening. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens to learn more about how catalysis can
1: inspire you to accelerate change in your organization.